Today's message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Pastor Jason Swanson is our senior pastor here at RBC, and this message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning service times. Pastor Jason is currently in a series he's calling a walk through the book of Acts, Jesus at Work. As Paul and Barnabas continued to minister to the crowds, they apparently had a difficult time convincing the people that they themselves were not gods because of the miracles that were being performed through them by the Holy Spirit. Today, Pastor Jason speaks to this in Acts chapter 14. In the sermon, he's entitled, Men and Not Gods, as he discusses how Paul and Barnabas humbled themselves and let the people know this was Jesus working and not them. Let's join Jason now in his message. This is part 47 of our walk through the book of Acts. Here's Jason. So as I said this morning, we will be continuing our walk through the book of Acts watching Jesus build His church, watching the Holy Spirit empower His messengers. So you can turn with me again to Acts chapter 14. And this morning I've, in, I've entitled this sermon, Men Not Gods. And If I were to ask you, how many of you struggle with people thinking too highly of you? I'm not sure too many of you would would give an answer in the affirmative. Well, yes, many people think too highly of me. Perhaps you only think in terms of, okay, superstars, Hollywood famous people, or perhaps professional athletes, that those kinds of people, that, that people tend to idolize them, people tend to put them up on some sort of pedestal, giving them some sort of God complex. And this this might seem... Strange, but in Papua New Guinea, we, we actually had kind of a, a weird nuance of this happening at different times. I can remember it, it, at one point we, we had a, a couple younger girls working in our house and helping Shannon out with laundry as we were serving as missionaries. And we, I, I was continuing to teach through the, the Bible. And at one point, these girls must, must have mentioned something about, as, as Shannon was telling them, that, that we had gotten a little squabble that morning. They're, wait, you mean you and Jason got in, in a fight, in an argument? And Shannon's like, yes. And, and, and they were like, well, no, that, that can't be true because Jason doesn't sin. And, and Shan, what, what do you mean? Did you sin? And Shannon was able to kind of walk them through, well, yes, we sin. And, and, and if you think that is strange, as we got to Ephesians and we started teaching on parent-child relationships, some of the men came up to me and they said, well, you know, you have it easy. Because your children, they obey everything you say. For them, they just, they just sit down under your talk. That's the way they say it all the time, forever. And they've always done that. Even even when they were little and you guys moved in among us, that they would listen and they would sit right under your talk all the time. And I'm I'm like, wait, come come and just hang out at our house a little bit longer. What what are you talking about? Uh, uh, of course, my 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 children are sinful just like your children. And yet, what happens is people they they can flip flop things and they and they take their they're thinking out of their back pocket and how they were raised and they and they map that right over to the perception of who God is. And we're going to see that this morning oh so clearly in Lystra and what happens with this group of people as a miracle is performed before them. And although those kinds of situations, they, they can kind of stroke your ego 
And they, and they can make you think, oh my, this is pretty cool. I, I kind of like the fact that these guys think I'm perfect. No. The reality is that is not what we want to communicate. And before the Lord, what do we want to do? We want to make sure that we are useful. Do we not? You know, we, we took our oldest son to college on, on Friday and, and, and Saturday. Dropped him off at the dorm. And as we were doing this, and as I was thinking about the big Friday that was approaching all week long, yes, I, I, I want to see Blake grow in the Lord. More than anything, that, that is definitely the, the most important aspect of what I want to see my son grow up to be. I want him to be a man after God's heart. I want him to be someone who walks with the Lord in truth. That, that his whole heart, soul, mind, and strength is, is all about seeking the Lord. But in terms of college and, and, and dropping him off there and and honestly, thinking about the amount of money that it's costing to send him to college and, and everything else, you know what else I want? I want his training to be useful. I, I, I want college to, to have some sort of dividends for him. Spiritually and, and also a- academically and also vocationally at some, at some point, right? And isn't that the case with all of us? Whatever vocation you are in, whatever training you received, you wanted that training to be useful for whatever work you were going to be doing. We as missionaries, it was the same thing. We didn't want to receive some sort of training that was never going to be used on the mission field. A doctor doesn't want to waste his time and all of the preparatory work that he has in studying, studying something that is not going to help him. He's not going to study surgery if he's not going to go into being a surgeon. He wants his training to be useful. And I think in the Christian life, that is exactly the same thing. We, we want everything that we do that we're involved in to be useful. So that we might honor the Lord. So that we, in, in essence, we're not wasting our time. So, so things that we do within a church, as families, they, they need to be filtered through that grid. Is this useful? Is this going to help me become more like Christ and be a useful servant in His hands? And this morning, as we take a look at, at these men that, that, that are not gods, that these men that are just normal men, that have the same tendencies that you and I have, that, that they still have that, that sinful flesh, that as we take a look at them and we, and we see their lives in action, what, what we come away with are some key traits that, that are oh so useful for the Lord. Traits that, that we should follow. And I believe one thing that wraps up all of these traits is the fact that they were willing. They were willing to do what the Lord had them do. What the Lord had told them to do. No, no matter what the cost, no matter what kind of reaction people were giving to them, they, they set their mind and their focus on, okay, this is what the Lord told us to do, so this is what we're going to do. So, so turn with me to Acts, and let's look at verses 1 to 18 this morning. As we're going to see some of these key traits in Barnabas and in Paul that allow them to be useful for the Lord. In Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed. 
both of Jews and of Greeks. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided and some sided with the with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, and Derbe and the surrounding region. And there they continued to preach the gospel. At Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who, when he had fixed his gaze on him and had seen that he had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he leaped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw that Paul had, what Paul had done, they raised their voice saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come, have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands, garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, and yet he did not leave himself without witness. In that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with good, with food and gladness. Even saying these things, Without difficulty, with difficulty, they restrain the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. We need your help to accurately understand what you would have for us this morning. We want to leave here changed. We want to leave here empowered by your spirit, to go forth and to be your servants as Paul and Barnabas were your servants, Lord. So teach us, challenge us, encourage us, spur us on this morning as only your word and the Holy Spirit can do. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as we, and and let me do this, let me just pull back for a minute. And let me just offer a couple observations of something that we have seen already through the the book of Acts. And this has to do with the pattern of Christ's church. What, What we've been noticing is this pattern that, okay, what happens? Preaching happens. And as preaching happens, division naturally arises as some believe and some disbelieve. From this division then happens some sort of persecution which then, interestingly enough, is followed by growth. That doesn't seem to make sense, but that's the way that Christ is building His church. 
He's allowing this division to raise up and then persecution to come. And from that, we see that more and more folks are being brought into his church. And we're going to see today that that's exactly what happens in Iconium. That is, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas show up in this town. That there is the proclamation of the gospel. There is division. Then there is persecution. But then we see that there is also growth. And is this all because the Apostle Paul and Barnabas are such good teachers? What what we're going to find is that they don't even spend much time in Iconium. They they don't spend enough time to lay this great foundation to to develop a whole bunch of, of solid believers. And yet when they come back through these cities, having hardly spent any time with them, you know what they're going to find? They're going to find solid churches where men are functioning in in, in their God-given roles and abilities and the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given them. And the church is growing. Is it because of Paul and Barnabas and, and their abilities? No, it's because the Lord Jesus Christ is building His church. And yet there's something else that we see here that that I believe would be very helpful for for you and me when when it comes to what rejection. Because in this, this is what they experience. They're going to experience rejection. It isn't like they're going to go into Iconium and the whole place is going to believe. They're, They're going to go into Iconium and then there's going to be division. And some are going to be on their side and some are not going to be on their side. And so then they're they're left with the question, well, what do you do when you are rejected? When somebody rejects the gospel that you are preaching? And what we are going to see is is to a certain extent, they they have short-term memory loss (laughs) When, when it comes to rejection. Instead of thinking and considering over and over again, I can't believe that the Jews, and now they're bringing some Greeks over with them, that they're so upset with us that they're willing to kill us. No, do you know what they consider even more important? What they consider to be something that they need to etch in the memory in their minds on stone that they will not forget? It's the gospel. And that's what they continually remember over and over again. That should be an encouragement to us. Why? Because perhaps maybe the first time you share Christ with someone in your family, they totally stiff arm you. And, and they reject you. Do, you. do you then go, okay, well, I'm never going to share the gospel with anybody in my family again? No. You, you see the Lord even in that circumstance, and we're going we're gonna to see that this morning. That, that a closed door here means an open door there. And so let's take a look at these six traits that are seen in Paul and Barnabas. That... Make them these, these useful tools for the Lord. And the, the first trait is a, a willingness to share the gospel. And, and we've seen this before and we continue to see it. Look at verse 1. In Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed both of Jews and of Greeks. So where we left off last week was, was in Pisidian Antioch. Another city within Galatia. So the, the epistle to the Galatians was written to all these churches. To Lystra, to Derby that we're going to see next week, to Pisidia and Antioch. They're all in the same region. And so they, they would have hiked this 85 miles from Pisidia and Antioch to Iconium. 
and remember, they had just basically kind of been, been chased out. And they decided, okay, yes, we're going to go over here. Why? Because back in Pisidian Antioch, the Jews were inciting all sorts of persecution against them. And so then they come here and the Lord honors the preaching of, of the gospel. And we see that some believe. No doubt this had to be a major encouragement to them. Because it wasn't just the Jews that were believing, but it was the Gentiles as well. And we see that they didn't allow the discouragement of what they what just happened to them to stop them from continuing on what the Lord had for them. And you and me, we should do the same. We should trust the Lord that that as He might allow someone to reject the gospel that we share, He He's going to allow someone else to respond. He's going to open a door somewhere else. But we see too that it wasn't just about preaching the gospel. They weren't only concerned about preaching the gospel as we see in the next two verses that they also had a willingness to teach the word and to strengthen the body. Look at verses two and three. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. I don't know about you, but this seems backwards. I mean, verse two, they're in trouble that the Greek of embittering someone isn't just embittering, it's poisoning that they're actually going around and poisoning everybody against Paul and Barnabas. And, and things are looking bleak. But instead of running away, right away, what do they do? They're, they have this willingness to teach the body. So on the one hand, they're sharing the gospel. And, and we see that in the first verse. And then we also see that to these new believers, they recognize that they must continue to teach them. And so that's what they're doing. They're teaching them. And they're relying upon the Lord who's testifying along with them, proving that He is on their side and that they are His witnesses. And so as a result, we see that these these miracles happen, validating that they are indeed the messengers of the Lord. Notice here how a useful servant of the Lord uses the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's what these are, that... The first would be the gift of evangelism seen in verse 1, which I believe was a gift given not only to Paul, but to Barnabas. That's what these guys do. They go and they evangelize. Have you ever met anyone that had the gift of evangelism? You you can't stop them. Wherever they go, they want to share Christ with everyone. And I believe that this is the gift that they have, but they didn't just have that gift. They have the gift of teaching. And that's seen here in these two verses. And they're using their gifts in order to do what? In order to edify, to build up the body. And we also see in in, in verse 3 that that they had other gifts. That they had the gifts of, well, we're going to see in Paul, he had the gift of healing. They had the gift of doing miracles. And whereas I believe that that those particular gifts stopped with the apostles, that doesn't mean that God stopped doing healing. That God doesn't heal today. That God doesn't do miracles today. 
He does it. He does it through the answer of prayer. But my question for us this morning is, what about you? What, what, what do you do? What are you doing with, with the spiritual gift the Holy Spirit has given you? Do you know what the Holy, what the gift is that the Holy Spirit has given you? And if you do know what that gift is, are you using it? You know, because there are many opportunities within our body for you to get involved and allow the, the body to be blessed because of your involvement in the body. And yet I recognize that there could be some here that, that you're, you're not certain what your gift is. And, and, and you're still perhaps waiting for some, some sort of test. That, that you can take that would then explain to you well, what your gift is. May, may I make another suggestion? Instead of waiting for a test, just try serving in some capacity. Try jumping in and asking, Lord, okay, where do you want me to serve? If you're involved in a community group and you love to sing and you play the guitar, well, well perhaps jump in there. You, you know what will happen? And this will happen in Sunday school. This will happen in Awana. This will happen wherever you serve. As you jump into that particular area, the Lord will confirm it. He will make it known what your gift is. Not only in the desire that He is giving you as you step into that role, but in the way people respond to you in the way that you are serving. What will this look like? This will look like people coming up to you and saying, Oh man, you are really good at organizing. Oh man, you are a natural born leader. Thank you for coming and helping out with Awana. Oh, thank you for teaching. That was so clear in the way that you presented that truth and, and, and that verse. And then you know what will happen on, this, on your side? You will just start to get more and more excited about that particular avenue of ministry that the Lord has opened up for you now. Why? Because you're using the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given you. And at some point in our Sunday school classes, we are going to dig into the gifts. And I'd encourage any of you who want to learn more about the gifts to, to yes, come and, and see what God's Word says about it. But there is a point where what we need to do is jump in. Because the Holy Spirit has gifted you. He's gifted all believers and what we need to do is, is see where that gifting is. And it will emerge as you jump into this area and that area. And some things you're going to be like, well, no, I, I don't ever want to teach again. That was a bomb, <laughs> right? That just did not go well. And then in other cases, oh man, hospitality? I love having people come over and doing this and doing that and everybody's excited about it. Well, well then what happens? You'll just start to gravitate towards serving over here and not serving in, in, in this particular light. So we see that they were useful for the Lord in the fact that they were using the God-given gifts that they had. But we also see in, in verse 3 that they were this. They, they were willing to walk in dependence upon the Lord. As it says, therefore they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord who was testifying to the word of His grace granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. The Greek in this lets us know that, that, that the one that was doing all of the, the action here wasn't the apostles. That they were relying upon the Lord and the Lord was the instrument. 
The Lord was the tool that was was actually being used. And what was their part? Their part was to depend upon the Lord. To trust Him that He was going to edify the body as they went forward, stepped forward by faith, looking to teach, looking to build up the body. And, and that is indeed what happens. And that will be the same for us. As we walk in dependence upon the Lord, He will use us. He will encourage us. He will empower us. And He will do things that, that we didn't think were possible. That we didn't even know we had that particular gift. And yet then the Lord will just make it flower and make it something beautiful. Why? Because you're walking in dependence upon Him. And so we see that, that the Lord is indeed at, at work through His servants as they are walking in dependence upon Him, as they are using the, the gifts that He has given them. But what we're going to see next is that, that they also had this, a, a willingness to be per, persistent in spite of persecution. And this is so difficult. Because what I want to do, as soon as things get hot, as soon as things get hard, I just want to stop. And yet we don't see that with them. Look at verses 4 to 7. But the people of the city were divided, and some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Okay, let let me clarify now, because you're going to see Barnabas included as an apostle, and that might be a little confusing to you. I know it's confusing to me when I first looked at this. Wait, I didn't think Barnabas was an apostle, and I don't believe he is an apostle. The problem comes in with the Greek word. It can mean messenger or it can mean an apostle. Now, if this just is more the general term, which is what I believe it is, then it should have been translated messenger. Why? Because an apostle is someone who was called directly by Jesus. Someone who visually, with their eyes, saw Jesus in his resurrected state. Neither of those happened to Barnabas. So I believe that the idea here is more that these were the messengers of the Lord. They were his vessels. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles, verse 5, and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, and Derbe and the surrounding region. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So in spite of the opposition that comes, what do they do? They continue to preach. They, they continue to, to minister in spite of all this craziness that, that was happening. And yet we, we see that there, there was a, a tipping point. There, there was a time as things continued to escalate and no doubt they're continuing to preach the gospel as well as to teach the word of God to the believers. And they continue to teach, they continue to preach, they continue to teach, they continue to preach. And at, and at some point they recognize, okay, you know what? This, this persecution and this opposition to us has now grown to such an extent that, that this is dangerous. And as a result, what happens? They decide to run for it. But, but hear me here. I, I don't believe it was a running away so much as it was a running towards. You see, they recognize that, that the door of opportunity in Iconium is now done. But instead of just looking at it and then, and then being all depressed... They're looking forward and they're saying, okay, well, Lord, if you're closing this door, then obviously you're moving us on. And what this means is a fruitful ministry someplace else. And we will leave Iconium in your hands. And however you want to work that out, that is good with us. What we're going to do is we're going to continue on. And this should be a tremendous encouragement to us. 
Because perhaps today, this morning, you have already seen a door closed. Something that was dear to you. Perhaps someone that was dear to you. And you're trying to make sense of all of this. And, 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 and I understand whether it's someone that you love that has passed away. Yes, there is a grieving process. But we also need to get our, our, our focus off of right now and on to the Lord and recognize, okay, Lord, man, I'm going to trust you. And I know that you have my good in store. Because you are a loving, good, and gracious God. And so this door closing here, I know it's going to present an open door over here. And I'm just going to walk on in faith, trusting you for what you have in the future. Which is exactly what they did. They had this willingness to be persistent in spite of persecution. Why? Because they could see God in the midst of their circumstances. In in the midst of their crazy situation. And then what we're going to see next is is interesting. As they, they go to these different regions, and as they come into verses 8 to, to 10, we're going to see a, a willingness to, by faith to expect God to work. Look at verses 8 to 10. At Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb who had never walked, This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who when he had fixed his gaze on him and had seen that he had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he leaped up and began to walk. This should remind us of something that we've already seen, but back in Acts chapter 3, right with Peter, a very similar situation, a man who was paralyzed, sitting at the gate called Beautiful, Peter sees him. He asks him for alms. And what does Peter say? Hey, I don't have anything to give you. No gold or silver. But in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And that's exactly what happens. And now we see so many chapters later, a different man, still an apostle, the apostle Paul, doing the same exact thing. Notice how it's depicted for us about this man. He, he could have just left off after the, the very first phrase in verse 8. At Lystra, there was a man who had no strength in his feet. In the Greek, that... that That depicts that this man was paralyzed. That's enough. He's communicated it, but he doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says, well, and he's, he's, he's lame. But, but he's been lame for how long? From his mother's womb. And he had never walked. That, that gives us the idea. Not only was this a helpless situation, but this was a hopeless situation. This was one of those situations that never should have actually been able to be fixed. And I believe that's the point that Luke is trying to emphasize. That the Lord is trying to bring out to us this morning. is for us to recognize, hey, when you think God can't do it, He can. That 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 is exactly where Paul was. He was expecting God to work even in this crazy, hopeless, and helpless situation. How good are you at that? at expecting God to work, believing that God's going to show up and that He's going to do something. In these situations that just don't seem to make sense. Perhaps when you lose your job or perhaps you you fill in the blank. That just seems like it's too overbearing, it's too hopeless and too helpless. And, And yet here what we would see is, no, nothing is too hopeless or too helpless. 
And then he goes on, and, and, and then we see is there is so much about this story that is similar to what we've seen before, but, but there's something else that's a nuance that is so new. As we see that this man is listening to Paul, what is Paul doing? Paul is preaching. This man looks at him, and then Paul, what does he do? He fixes his gaze on him. We've seen this. We, we've seen this verb time and time again in Acts. First in Acts chapter 1 with the apostles looking at Jesus as he's ascended. And they're just gazing up into the heavens. And they're just like, hey, what are you guys doing? In the same way that he, that he went up, he's going to come back, so get busy. And then in chapter 3, Peter is looking at the paralyzed man with this kind of gaze. And then we see Stephen in chapter 7 looking up into the heavens and seeing the heavens open and Jesus standing there. How? With this kind of gaze. And then last week in chapter 13, Paul, he looks at the, the magician bar Jesus with this kind of gaze. But here this is different because it's not just that he's looking at him. Do you see what else it says? That he was able to see this man's faith. How many of you can see a man's faith? (laughs) What does that mean? Well, I take it to mean what it says. He saw this man's faith. Somehow God granted him the ability to see his faith. This is not the gift of discernment. This is a special supernatural gift that the Lord gave to Paul on this occasion. There is the gift of discernment, but that's not this. There's not somebody that can go around and saying, oh, this guy's, he's got faith to be saved. This guy, nope, nope. It's not like a metal detector that someone has given. That this was something that the Lord did for Paul. But then look at it, it goes even deeper as it says, not just that he saw that he had faith, but he saw what kind of faith he had. And the way that the translators translated it is, he had faith to be made well, only speaking of the physical side of things. The verb that's used is sozo, it's to save, it's salvation. So it, so it could easily have been translated, he had the faith to be saved. And who would he have been thinking about? He would have been thinking about, not about Paul. Paul couldn't save him. Paul wasn't talking about himself. Paul was talking about Jesus. And so who is in the picture? Who's in the scope? Who's in the spotlight? Who's the subject of who he is believing in for salvation? He's believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And while we see many times in Scripture, especially in Luke's accounts, going back to Jesus and and the Gospel of Luke, many times when people are healed, it's because of their faith. But that doesn't mean that every time somebody has faith that God is going to heal them, that they're going to be healed. Why? Because God is God and we are not. But, But let me just say this. I, I believe the reason perhaps why we don't see so much healing today is because we don't ask in faith. We, we don't actually believe that God could do that. Right? No, no, we get too sidetracked with, with medicine and this and that, and you just think, oh no, that's the only way that, that, that God's gonna do this. No, it's not. Look at the track record of all of the times where He did healings. And, and it's not even recorded how many healings Jesus did. So we need to ask the Lord to help us. To expand our faith and to, to pray, expecting God to work. So we see that, that, that they were using the gifts that God gave them. That they were walking in dependence, that they were being persistent even when times are tough. That they were expecting God to work. And, and then finally, 
what we see is this. That there was a willingness to walk in humility. And man, this is huge. This is the kind of leader the Lord wants to use. This is the kind of husband the Lord wants to use in his family. This is the kind of father the Lord wants to use. This is the kind of wife. This is the kind of mother. We must be humble. There's a tendency here where they could have just said, oh man, this is pretty cool. Right? And taken at least a little bit of the accolades. But no, they don't. Look at verses 11 to 18. And I'll wrap things up with this. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. Okay, it's important that they're speaking in Lyconium. Why? Because Paul no doubt was speaking in Greek. He didn't know every one of these language groups that they were cruising through. They would have been speaking in Greek. But now the people, they respond in Lyconium. So what happens? There's a disconnect. If you're on the mission field and you go and you're ministering and somebody starts speaking really fast, even if you know the language, but if you don't know the language and you're just visiting, you're going to be lost. So, so no doubt what happens to a certain extent is Paul and Barnabas, they hear all this language going on and then they start to see a procession. All these people start coming. And what do they say? They say the gods have become like men and have come down to us and they began calling Barnabas Zeus who's basically the the head god of the Greeks, and Paul Hermes. Why? Because he's the messenger god. Because he was the chief speaker. And the priests of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. So this whole crowd is going like this. And maybe Paul and Barnabas are now finished and, and they're done. And Paul's like, hey, Barnabas, man, check that out. Look at all these people. We, we came in a time when they're doing some sort of sacrifice. I, I wonder who... Who they're, who they're doing this for. And then this big procession turns and starts coming towards them. And they see that it's a big bull, so that means this is a big deal. This was like the most expensive animal you could buy for a sacrifice. It's got garlands around it, so, so they've dolled it all up. Why? Because this is important to them. This is so important to them. Why? Because it goes into their culture. It goes into their history. It turns out that, that this city of, of Lystra, Lystra and, and the surrounding town here supposedly had some sort of visitation from Zeus and Hermes. And Zeus and Hermes come and they visit this town and they go around knocking on all the doors. And do you know what happens? Nobody is hospitable towards them. Everybody says no, 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 no until they finally get to this aged couple, Philemon and Baucus. And they say, oh yes, you can come. And so they house them for the night. And do you know what they do the next day? Zeus takes this couple and he puts them on top of a mountain. This sounds so much like our village in Sihawi. Puts them on a mountain and then it causes a great big flood to come and wipe everybody out out in the village. And then he builds them a special golden temple. And then they, they reign and they rule over that golden temple. For so many years until they die. And when they die, these, these two great big trees rise up. And that's a memorial to these two people, to this Philemon and this Baucus. And so what are they thinking? They are thinking, oh, we missed it last time. Last time the gods came down and we didn't act favorably towards them. So we're not going to miss it this time. This time they're here and what we are going to do is we are going to worship them. Before you just say, oh yes, Jason, that, that sounds a lot like the Papua New Guinea people. 
Let me tell you what happens, how, how this nuances and how this turns into something that looks a lot more like church. You know what the Jews do by the second century? They are now looking at this story and they are saying, oh, you know what? That's Genesis 6. That's Noah and the flood. No, it's not. That's not Noah and the flood. That's a distortion of God's Word and they begin worshiping them. At times, that's what we do. Right? We flip things upside down. And, and, and we take what, what our perceptions are of what, what God is and who God is like and, and, and we put those in the, in the foreground as, as then we, we bring something else under. In, in missions, we call this syncretism. You add the belief system before that they believed and you just put Jesus on top of it and you muddle it all together and you say, this is great. This is what I now believe. I believe in Hermes and I believe in Zeus and okay, yes, I'll add this Jesus onto it. No, you can't. <laughs> that, that is not the way that we are to respond to the gospel. We are to respond to exactly whatever God says is true in His Word. And that Jesus is the only way to the Father. And then we see that, that they address the crowd, right? So at some point it dawns on them that this is for them. Look at verse 14. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their robes. Why would they do that? Because they recognized this is blasphemy. That is what the Jews would have done. That is actually what Gentiles would do as well. If you're not giving the proper respect and worship towards a God, then, then you would tear your clothes. And they cry, they're crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the generations gone by, He permitted all the nations to go their own ways. And yet, He did not leave Himself without witness and that He did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. There's basically two points to, to what Paul brings to them. The number one point is he's humble. And he says, well, hold on a minute. We are men just like you. We have the same flesh and blood that you guys do. Don't, we're not gods. And then he says, but we know who the God is. And that is the message that we are. So what we are is we're not gods, we're messengers. And we've been here to tell you about our God. About the true God. He is the living God. He is the only God. And they humble themselves and yet they share the truth. Notice in this how, how Paul never actually finishes his sermon. Right? As he's teaching... And no doubt preaching the gospel in, in Lystra, he, he notices this, this paralyzed guy and he takes a break from his teaching and heals him. Or the Lord heals him through Paul. And then as a result, all this commotion happens. And then he goes back to his sermon. But, but, we, but what we see is that he leaves them with the opportunity to repent. As he commands them, hey, turn from these vain things. Stop worshiping these gods of your own imagination and worship the true and living God. And yet look at the way verse 18 ends. Even saying these things with difficulty, they restrain the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. They still didn't want to listen. It was with difficulty. And I believe that, man, that's something that we should pray for. 
that we would ask the Lord to open our eyes to see those areas in our lives which possibly we aren't thinking correctly about. Instead of letting God's Word inform us, we're still letting our own perceptions of who we believe God is be the determining fact, the determination, the foundation for why we believe what we believe instead of going to God's Word and letting God's Word tell us, okay, this is who our God is. Let me give us some points to ponder since I've skipped them the last couple of weeks. Consider this. Consider Paul's statement how God permitted all the nations to go their own ways and yet left them with a witness of His goodness and provision. How did God still look after you before you knew Him? How is He continuing to look after you now? And that should be a thing of rejoicing, huh? There was nothing cooler to listen to our villagers in, in Papua New Guinea recount how God had given them these bananas, given them this sack sack that they would not only eat, but they would use for building all of their homes. And saying, man, even before we knew you, you gave us all these things. Why? Because you are such a loving and good God. And we can do the same thing as we look back. Number two, who do you worship? The God who has revealed Himself through His Word or the God of your own imagination? Ask the Lord to help you to see areas in your life where your worship is not where it should be. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we we do stop and we thank You that You have made Yourself known to us, Lord. And Lord, we pray that You would help us to worship You in truth with hearts completely wide open for You, Lord, and that we would serve You as faithful servants, Your vessels, that we would learn from the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, that we would be humble, that we would be willing to proclaim You, to teach Your Word, to walk in dependence upon You, and to expect you to work, Lord. Thank you for your word and go before us now in Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.